Let's turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Lord, speak to us further from this passage. Bless our hearts to love what we hear and read and cause our feet to take us into the way of understanding lest we wander into the congregation of the dead and be lost in our own foolishness. We thank you for your scriptures. Bless us now as we study them for a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Solomon was a king, and therefore he wrote as a king in order to establish the proper place of authority in the nation of Israel so that those people could have the best life possible under the sun. God has created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. He created our first set of parents. He ordained marriage for them. He gave them a couple of sons and some daughters they wouldn't have had anyone to marry. He gave them some sons in order to establish a family and the parent-child relationship. And from there, he ordained civil governments. He ordained masters over servants. And he ordained pastors and churches. He chose all this because if we follow his rules and we do it his way, we will enjoy life the best it can be enjoyed under the sun on earth. All human authority is imperfect. The perfect God, who is perfect in exercising his authority, has ordained imperfect authority to guide the world. No father has ever done, ever done everything right. No husband is a perfect husband. No master is a perfect master. No ruler, no president, no king has ever fulfilled his office perfectly. God knows that, knew that, but when he writes the Bible, he never allows that as an excuse for us not to obey the authority in our lives. Because imperfect authority is better than no authority. No authority is anarchy and total confusion. Obeying imperfect authority with God's word being the limit on what imperfect authority you will obey is nirvana. You shouldn't use such words. It's utopia. It's paradise. The best we can have on earth is to follow the authority structures that God teaches in the Bible so far as they fall short of violating God's commandments. If there comes a time where we ought to obey God rather than men, we will do so in any sphere of authority. But until then, we should obey. And the Bible is presented in such a way that it teaches us without a forward master or without a president that's hard to respect, we cannot show Christian character. You cannot show Christian character by obeying a good boss. It's too easy. As I have said, it's not submission, it's a vacation. When you have a wonderful, loving husband, it's a vacation to be married. It's not submission. Submission is when you're being asked to do things you don't want to do. And I'd like you to remember what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you need to turn there, you may, if you can trust your ears to picture it for you, I'll read it. Just a couple of verses. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. This is 1 Peter 2.18. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if he be buffeted for your faults? 
ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Do you want to do something acceptable to God? Do you want to do something thankworthy that deserves God's commendation and praise of you? Then wait to have a froward master. A boss that doesn't keep his word, abuses you, so that you end up suffering wrongfully and enduring grief. Now, when the Lord says if you're suffering wrongfully and you're enduring grief, He doesn't say go get another job. Though we are able to in our society. But He doesn't say that. He says if you're able to submit to this man out of conscience toward God, because all authority comes from God, So even imperfect authority should be obeyed with all fear. That's what it said. Even a froward master. Because that is acceptable with God and it's worthy of thanks, praise, and commendation. Imperfect authority is better than no authority. Imperfect authority is what God deals with every time He mentions authority. And even imperfect authority is to be obeyed perfectly. Right. With all fear. Not answering again. But in all faithfulness, it's important for us to remember that. We as Americans, in the spirit of the Declaration of Independence and the preamble that I read to you, have the idea that if someone in authority isn't giving us our way, then it's authority that we can ridicule and rebel against. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches acceptable conduct is serving a master with all fear and doing a great job When he treats you wrongly and misuses you, and you are suffering wrongfully, you have done a good job, but he treats you poorly, and you endure grief, that's how you can be a Christian. And I've preached that passage before, and I hope you know that it goes on to say, even Jesus Christ did the same thing. Did he suffer wrongfully on his trial? Did he revile his captors? No. Did he threaten? No. He submitted and became our Savior, and it sets Him up as the great example of enduring grief and suffering wrongfully. And He went cheerfully to the cross, and we are to go cheerfully to work and endure grief and suffer wrongfully if that's what happens. That's how we can prove that we are truly the children of God. Let's go to verse 9. Verses 8 and 9, excuse me, verses 8 and 9. The next lesson is what goes around comes around. That expression... I'm not sure if it's a southern expression or not in these United States. But it means that in the way that you treat others, that treatment is going to come back on your head one way or another. What goes around comes around. If you're going to be hard, harsh, cruel, and unmerciful, then you should expect to be treated with hard, harsh, cruel, and unmerciful treatment by others. And that's the lesson that we have in verses 8 and 9, repeated four times by four different metaphors. There's no mystery here in these two verses that I know of. It's just Solomon repeating himself like he does so many times. He's got Proverbs in the book of Proverbs that are word for word repeats of each other. Is that redundancy? No. It's there for emphasis. This is here for emphasis. In the last verse of this chapter, he says, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Are those two different things we're to worry about? Or is he describing a bird by its wings in the second clause, stating the same thing he said in the first clause about a bird? Right. He's just repeating himself. I, if, you have a, if you can dig a deeper mystery out of verses 8 and 9, share it with me. I, I would love to listen. I'll pay you for it. 
As far as I know, he's saying the same thing four times. What goes around comes around. You've heard it. Let's look at the words that he uses by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. And whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith. And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. He that diggeth a pit. You dig a pit to snare someone. This doesn't have to be a literal pit, but you set up a trap to catch someone. You could be a ruler. Much of this chapter is to be understood from the perspective of civil government. If a ruler takes advantage of this lofty position that he has and tries to dig a trap for the poor people in his kingdom or land, he should expect that the same thing is going to happen to him. The man who digs a pit is going to fall into it. Can you think of a man that that happened to in the Bible? Haman. Did Haman dig a pit? Haman dug a pit, but what was his pit? It wasn't down, it was up. And what was it? It was a very tall gallows. Where did Haman swing at the end of his life? And it wasn't a nightclub. But where was he swinging? On his own gallows. Because he dug a pit and he fell into it. He is a great example. We have all the details of it given to us in the Bible. Naboth dug a pit. I mean, Ahab dug a pit. King Ahab of Israel dug a pit for Naboth because he wanted Naboth's vineyard, which was near the king's palace. Do you remember how he threw a childish temper tantrum? And, and lied in, stayed in bed and wouldn't get up and had his face to the wall and got all moody and depressed until Jezebel went out to get him Naboth's vineyard. And she conspired and had men falsely testify against him until he was accused of blasphemy and crime, capital crimes and was put to death. And then King Ahab got to walk through that vineyard looking at his title and his deed of real property that was his. He dug a pit through Jezebel for Naboth. Did he fall into his own pit? Literally. In that same field, the dogs licked the blood of King Ahab out of his chariot according to the word of the prophet Elijah sent by God to that wicked man. You are to understand these things, and it doesn't matter if you're a king with all the endorsement and support by the God of heaven who would call you a little God. You are to, you had better be careful in how you use your position of power because if you dig a pit for anyone, you're going to fall into it. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Look at Psalm 7 with me, keeping your finger there at Ecclesiastes 10. Will not be long. This is the only lesson we're going to cover. I enjoyed that song we sang, seeing that it was made from Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters. There's some wonder, there are some wonderful lessons that we still have in the, in the rest of this book of Ecclesiastes that deals with current events right now that are causing people to be alarmed and afraid. And yet chapter 11 is not to worry about those things. Just get up and go to work every day. Right. Where the tree falls is where the tree's going to lie. If it falls to the north, it's going to lie toward the north. If it falls to the south, it's going to lie toward the south. Guess what you're going to do about it? Cut up and burn the fireplace, but it's, you're not going to move it. You're not going to cause it to fall in a different direction. Right. So much there. But look at Psalm 7 as it gives us some light on Ecclesiastes 10, 8 and 9. 7, verse 15. He made a pit, speaking of the wicked, and digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. 
His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. This is God's sense of judgment. If Haman wanted to build a high gallows to hang Mordecai, then the Lord had Haman hung on his own gallows. That is sweet justice. He who laughs last laughs best, and the Lord has them all in derision, according to Psalm 2. Look at chapter 9, verse 15. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion, Selah. The Lord is known by the judgments, judgments which he executes. Men have said there is no God. I don't believe there's a creator God, even though the Bible says they are without excuse in Romans chapter 1. They profess themselves to be wise, and they make man himself their own God. They make the creeping things of the earth their God. And so they have sex among men. And they end up getting all sorts of diseases, and they wonder why. Do you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1? It is an appropriate consequence for their sin. In Romans chapter 1 it says, And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. An appropriate sense of honor for these fools who deny the existence of God, are unthankful, and love one another. They corrupt themselves in the love and, and what God put in a man by nature. They corrupt it, and they get a recompense of their error, which is meat. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Don't think literal pit. Think, when a man chooses to go against God, the Lord is going to get him often in that area. And since we're talking about authority in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, women, if you think... If you think in reason that the Bible is too strict about my relationship to my husband, calling my husband Lord is just extreme and ridiculous. Reverencing my husband, Ephesians 5.33, the first one, 1 Peter 3.6. Reverencing my husband is just extreme. If you think, if I reverence my husband that way and if I call him Lord, he'll just walk all over me. If you want to reason that way and try to protect yourself then try the odious approach. Try the odious approach of not submitting and not reverencing your husband and see how far it gets you. See if it brings happiness to your life. See if it really protects you and makes you a more well-rounded and fulfilled woman. It doesn't work. You're digging a pit and you're going to fall into the pit. You're digging a pit against what God has ordained relative to authority. If you want to sit in your home and make fun of our president, George W. Bush, then do not be surprised and don't come to me when your teenage sons are rebellious against you. I don't have any advice for you. Because you decided that you were going to ridicule authority that's over your head. Why should you be surprised that they're ridiculing your authority when it's over their head? Because he that digs a pit is going to fall into it. A pit was used in these days to capture wild animals. They would dig a deep pit, lay a light covering over it. The animal would come along. There might be bait in the middle of the, of the, uh, the opening that's covered with something light and not substantial. And the animal would fall into the pit and they could capture an animal that way. But if you dig a pit to capture someone, if you're seditious or treasonous 
or disrespectful in your, to- in your conversation about Washington, D.C., then don't be surprised if your children, your wife, or others are disrespectful and seditious about your authority. What goes around comes around. Do you hear me? Yes, amen. If you wonder why your children aren't very obedient to you, where are you fudging the laws? Where do they know that you're disrespectful? Are you always trembling and in fear? They grew up with your image being the number one teaching source in their entire life. They grew up watching you. They grew up watching the wife and how she submits to her husband. They grew up hearing how the dad talked about the government, how the dad talks about the pastor, how the dad talks about his bosses at work. And if you have cheated the Word of God and the righteousness that we're learning right here, you have dug a pit and you're going to fall into it. Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Hedges were used to protect fields and flocks and herds from leaving. They didn't string up wire like we do quite yet. They had hedges to keep those animals in. And if you broke a hedge down to let some of his animals get into your field, then a serpent was going to bite you. That hedge could have been used for property boundaries. That hedge could have been used for protection of a city. That hedge could have been used for protection of a nation. When the Lord speaks about standing in the hedge for a people in Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, it's a reference like this. A hedge of good, strong, hardy thorns grown together well and having many years is a pretty formidable obstacle, especially for animals that don't like going through a lot of thorns. It will keep them in one place. But if you break down that hedge, and God establishes hedges, God has a hedge around parents. He has a hedge around husbands. He has a hedge around kings. And if you break through that hedge and enter into another man's sphere of authority or into another man's realm, a serpent is going to bite you. What goes around comes around. Do you want to play with God's ordinances for things? You're going to be bit by a serpent. Verse 10. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith. What are these stones? These stones are the ancient landmarks that are put in a field to delineate where corners of real property come together. Those stones could represent the property boundaries for four farmers in one spot where four fields might come together. And if you move those stones during the night, you could encroach a little bit, maybe a 5% theft, maybe a 2% theft from each of the other three And you would get the accumulative effect, which is a geometric increase to your property. Go put it down on a piece of paper. You'll like it. Except it's wrong. When I say you'll like it, you'll see how it works. That a man could be very tempted to move those stones out from his corner just a little bit and watch how it geometrically increases his property at the expense of three others that happen to be bound next to him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith. If you are dishonest... In your business practices, do not be surprised if you find things not working out the way you want them to financially in your life. Because others are not going to treat you fairly. Because there's one judge that sees everything. You say, no one knows what I do. God knows, and that's all that counts. Because He's the, he's the one that providentially arranges all the affairs of your life. Are you impeccably honest in all of your dealings? Are you impeccably fair? and diligent with your use of time at your employer. If you're not, then why are you surprised that your wife doesn't get very much done? Why are you surprised that your children don't get their homework done? 
Why are you surprised that they have a hard time getting good grades? You shouldn't be. You've removed some stones and you're going to be hurt there with. The Lord's going to bring it around. This is philosophy class. 101. Thank you, Lord. Can you believe it that a philosophy lesson is entitled, What Goes Around Comes Around? It's a great lesson. If our children, if our children grow up seeing parents that love the Word of God, respect authority, speak honorably about their parents at all times and treat them respectfully and kindly and do nice things for them, those children are going to grow up believing that that's the way it ought to be done. But if, and the Lord will bless it to happen that way. Doesn't it say that, that if you honor your father and your mother, it will go well with you and you'll live many days on the earth that the Lord thy God giveth thee? But if you don't do that, if you speak disrespectfully of government, of, the, of men at work that you work for, of others, then don't be surprised when your children don't have any respect for authority because you taught that to them. And what goes around comes around. You dig a pit and you fall into it. He that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. You could be trying to get into someone else's wood pile, fallen timber, and it could fall on you. Or splinters could come out and blind you. It doesn't care how you're endangered by cutting someone else's wood, but this is getting into wood that doesn't belong to you because that's the lesson of the whole two verses. The four metaphors that are here repeated for emphasis, what goes around comes around. It's amazing the wisdom that we have in this little book of philosophy in these short, little, concise, blunt verses. If you want to alter the roles of authority, you're going to suffer for it. A parent says, on the way home today, they're in the car. It's their bedchamber. The pastor is so harsh. God couldn't have meant that in Proverbs chapter 30 about the eagles of the valley and the ravens plucking out a child's eyes. That's just too much. Too much. I'm not going to be that hard on my children. I'm not going to reflect that kind of an attitude toward my children. I'm going to be nice to them. You know what the Bible says about you nice people? Nice parenting? A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. That's what it says. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. I'm going to try the nice approach. I don't think that just vinegar like that is going to win a son or a daughter. I can't wait for them to grow up because I know how they're going to grow up. Because if you don't get them betimes, that means early in life, you're in trouble. Chasing thy son while there is hope because there comes a day when there is no hope. But see, you dug a pit. You dug a pit against the Word of God. You're going to trap somebody that because you're going to go against the Word of God. You broke down a hedge. The hedge was God's Word. You moved stones. They were the ancient landmarks that children are to be treated a certain way. And a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So the mother and the father that let the bleeding heart... The mother in the family dictate how the children were to be treated. It ends up with both of them suffering because a disobedient and foolish son is the calamity of his father. And it came because you broke down the hedge of God's word on how authority should be enforced. And this error starts at the top. It is an error that comes from the ruler because those in authority don't start at the top. If it started at the top and worked its way down, our children would come into this world and they would fear their parents. Pay-per-view should exist. And pay-per-view television should be used for the stoning of teenagers. And the proceeds should go to the parents 
that were, that were cursed with that child. So that they could retire. The parents could retire. The teenager's dead. And every teenager that watched pay-per-view television, every father that I know would pay for it for them to watch. That doesn't everybody win in a situation like that? Well, that's how it was done in Israel. The elders of the city would gather everyone around. The mother and the father would be there. They would lay their hands on the head of that wicked son, that rebellious son. And they would have told the elders of the city, we have done the best we could with this young man. He is a glutton and a drunkard. He will not obey the instructions of his parents. And they stone him to death. And the city watches. I'd have sat up in English class. I'd have stood up when my dad entered the room. I'd have said, yes, sir, and no, sir, and no one would have told me how to do it. Because I'd have figured that out. Because I don't like being hit by stones. And his last screams before he died would still be in my ears when my dad asked me to go out and cut the grass and I was planning to go swimming. Do you know what I would do? I'd go cut the grass. I would sound like Oliver North when he was on trial. And they said, do you do everything your commander-in-chief tells you? I love Oliver North. He said, if my commander-in-chief told me to go stand on my head in a corner, I would say, it is my pleasure, sir. And I'd go stand on my head in a corner. Right. He understood authority. Amen. You say, but he was going against Congress. If his commander-in-chief told him to do something... He was to obey his commander-in-chief, and he went and did it. I'm glad we have some men like that. Congress doesn't need to know everything that's going on. There is executive privilege. Senators are senators because they're not good enough to be presidents. Can't you figure that out? Husbands don't have to tell wives everything, and parents don't have to tell children everything. Sometimes they just have to make decisions and do them anyway. When you're a parent, you're going to like it. I know now it's not as pleasant. You're not a bad daughter. I didn't mean it that way at all. Oliver North. Colonel Oliver North. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith. He that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Four different ways that you take advantage of someone else. A ruler can do it. A ruler can do it by trying to take advantage of people. Overthrowing the rules and laws of the nation in order to make more money. Through taxation or whatever means. He's going to dig a hole for himself. Did Rehoboam dig a, dig a hole for himself and fall into it? He thought he would be harsh. Who ended up being harsh? The ten tribes that said, we have no part in David. Who's David to us? We'll go form our own nation right now. He said, this can't be happening to me. So he sent the IRS after the ten tribes to get that year's text. What they do to the poor man? They stoned him. He dug a pit and he fell into it. He removed the stones. Those, those ancient men that were his father's counselors, and to be a counselor of Solomon, you probably had to have a few things together, don't you think? Right. Why would you, A counselor to Solomon? Yeah. He disregarded them, and he fell into his own pit. A serpent bit him from the hedge. He removed the stones, and the stones hurt him. He tried to cleave some wood, and the wood bit him back. His tax revenue officer was dead, and he had ten tribes that were ready to go to war with him. And he went to war with them, and it cost him dearly. This is the word of the Lord to us. God has set up roles for each of us. He has set up civil government, and we are to hold it inviolate. We are to defend it until 
It contradicts the rules of our sovereign, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, we show respect, we show honor. We understand that masters are better and greater than servants and should be treated as such. They should be honored. Fools should not be honored. Wise men should be. The rich and successful should be. They should get privileges. Those that haven't done those things shouldn't get privileges. Honor is not seemly for a fool. You give honor to a fool, it's like tying a stone up in a sling. All the things that we've learned today, we do not do it. And then if we do do it, if we do violate authority, if we do try to get out of the spheres as God has taught them in the Bible, we're going to get in trouble and be bit by the same thing. I have watched this in my lifetime. I haven't lived all that long, but I have observed people. And under the sun, I have witnessed those who want to rebel against government, and they wonder why their children rebel against them. What goes around comes around. The government can't get away with it, nor can citizens get away with it. Parents can't get away with it by abusing their office and being overbearing. If a parent wants to be overbearing, then he's going to deal with a God that's going to be overbearing to him. Do you know how the Bible puts it? To the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. This is David in Psalm 18. David knew very well why he was so successful militarily. Because God was always with him because he was pure and so the Lord was pure to him. He was merciful and so the Lord was merciful to him. And David knew that if he was forward, the Lord would be forward with him. And so what goes around comes around. This is the lesson of verses 8 and 9. This is Solomon's instruction to us that if we try to go against God's word, especially in matters of authority, it's going to come back to bite us. A serpent will literally bite you. The tree will literally fall on your, the tree will metaphorically fall on your head, but it will be a real consequence. The stones will literally hurt you and you will fall into your own pit. You'll be hung on your own gallows. So parents, you can't relax the standard of God's words if you want your children to turn out right. Follow God's word to a T. Wives, if you want to have a loving husband, be a submissive and adoring wife the way the Bible teaches you to be. I hear her say, I tried that for two days and it didn't work. Try it for three next time. Maybe it'll work on the third day. Why don't you want to try it for the rest of your life? Because it's God's word. He's the one that tells you how to, how to live as a wife, how to live as a child, how to live as an employee. You have a difficult boss at work? Thank the God of heaven. Because unless you had a difficult boss, you can't show God your character. How can you show your character with a great boss? How can you show your character if you have a great husband? You need one who leaves his clothes around, who doesn't say thank you, who burps at the wrong time. You need something like that. You need a boss that doesn't treat you as well as you think you should be treated. Because only then, out of conscience toward God, can you serve anyway. And then you've done something that is thankworthy. Then you have done something truly commendable. Then you've shown Christian character. Then God will bless you. What a warning. May the Lord preserve us and keep us. We don't want to change any of the ancient landmarks. We don't want to change the ancient landmarks of our nation. If our nation has laws, that's what the Bible says. Submit yourself to the ordinances of man that you like. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man. And when those ordinances become unpleasant to you, then it is your right to abolish government and set up a new government that will have ordinances that you like to keep. Is that what it says? It says submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Let's live that way and do that. The Lord will find it very pleasing in His sight. And it's worthy of thanksgiving. And it's worthy of praise. And it will establish authority in all the spheres of your life. 
And God will protect you. Wives, when you submit to your husbands, children, when you submit to your parents, you don't have to guard things so that you protect yourself. You put your hands in the, you put your life into the hands of the Lord and He will protect you. He will protect every wife that submits to her husband. He will protect every child that submits to its parents. He will protect every citizen that submits to the government that we're going to have in four weeks. He will take care of us. We do not try to protect ourselves. We trust God to protect us, and He will protect us. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.